let me open with a quick prayer, uh, and then we'll uh, get into our passages this morning. Father in heaven, I ask that you send your spirit to help me preach your word in power. Father, for those that are present, I ask you to give them understanding so that at the end of our message, they can be thankful for the blessings that you've bestowed upon them. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, earlier in the week, uh, I went by the office and dropped off the title of my lesson and a copy of the passages that I was going to preach this morning. And while I was doing that, uh, David came out of his office and said, Howard, you're not going to preach the whole book of Colossians, are you? And I looked at him and I said, well, yeah. I mean, is there a problem with that? I thought, well, you know, Chris didn't give me a time limit. It's a holiday weekend. Everybody's well rested. I said, we'll just spend the afternoon talking about God's word. I thought that was great. Don't start fidgeting. I'm not going to spend the afternoon. We're going to get finished on time. So the uh, lesson this morning uh, is a Thanksgiving message. It's from the book of Colossians. We're going to look at the first chapter quite extensively. Then we'll look at some of the other verses uh, later. Uh, but if, you know, if, we, if we think of the word Thanksgiving, you know, what does that bring to mind to you? For, for most of it, it's an event. It's usually a weekend on the last weekend of November. It's a time of fellowship, of good food, of, of family. But, but it's an event. It's a one-time event. But if we go to the Bible and we look at what the Bible teaches about Thanksgiving, it's a whole different story. The Bible teaches us that it's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. And what I want to do this morning is go to one of Paul's letters to his churches and look at the things that he's thankful for and some of the things that he prays for that church and let's take a look at some of the blessings that we can bring into our lives that we can be thankful for during this holiday season. And at the same time, as we talk about the blessings of God, I also want to talk about one of my favorite subjects and that's what a Christian life looks like after you're saved. You know, we have a, a lot of people that, that preach in our modern times all about getting saved. They spend all their time and energy helping people get saved, and that's where it stops. But what does the Christian life look like after you're saved? What, what are you supposed to do? What are, you, what are you blessed for? What is your hope in? Why am I a Christian? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And as we talk about that, we're going to see the blessings that we can bring into our lives. So let's go to, turn with me if you've got your Bibles, to Colossians. We're going to be reading from uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse 3 uh, and continuing down to verse 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and have the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it 
and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If we look back at the beginning of that passage, Paul is thanking the people of this church. And let me say in the beginning that Paul is not familiar with this church. If you don't know your history, Paul didn't set this church up. He didn't found this church. This church was founded by Epaphras, uh, and the church in Colossae sent Epaphras to Rome to minister to Paul, and Epaphras was telling Paul about this church. Paul had no real firsthand knowledge of the Christians in Colossae. But look what he writes in the beginning. He's thanking them for their faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people. So if he's thinking, how's he going to know about their faith? You know, Epaphras tells him they're strong in the faith. How does he know that? Well, look at the second half of that. He knows that because they have love for one another. Their faith is demonstrated in love. Those two things are inseparable. If we have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we don't have love for our fellow brothers, then what kind of faith have we got? Remember what Jesus said, you know, if we say we love the Father, but don't love our brothers and sisters, then we're liars. So Paul fully understands that they have faith because that faith is demonstrated. And as we go through our lesson this morning, I want you, as we talk about these different passages, I want you to see and pick up on living faith. Faith is not static. When we say we believe in Christ and we put our trust in him and we're saved by grace through faith, that's not the end of the story. The story continues on from there. So let's continue. Look, the faith and love that we were just talking about springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. What is this hope? What's the hope he's talking about here? This, this hope causes them to have faith and love. And if I ask you, went around the room and I said, do you have this kind of hope? Could you tell me what this hope is? What are you hoping for? What are you hoping in? Let's look at a couple of passages and see if we can come to some kind of understanding. Let's look at Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, 
that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 8, 23 and 24. Not only so, but we ourselves who, ha who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. So the hope Paul is talking about here in this letter is the hope of eternal life. It's the hope that when we die, we're going to be raised again. We're going to have new glorified bodies when Christ comes again. Think about the church in Colossians. They were undergoing severe persecution as were most of the churches in the early part of the first century. How could they deal with that persecution? What caused them to be able to be burned alive? What caused them to be able to stand in the Colosseum and get eaten by lions? If their only thought was this, this life is all I got, now, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, I, I just, I, you know, this is it. If I die, you know, all there is to it. Not what the New Testament teaches. Their, their hope was even with this temporary body, there was something else. There was life after life. The minute we died, we're going to be with Jesus Christ. And when he comes again, we're going to have a new glorified body. This is what drove them and drove all the first century Christians to have a strong faith. They knew nothing could come against them because they were invincible. Because they had a hope in something better. And look what he says in, in Titus 2, and, and this is what I want to emphasize over and over again, is that the grace of God teaches us to say, no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It doesn't say you're saved, go have a good time. Don't think about your Christian life. I'll worry about being a good Christian next Sunday when I come in here to preach. Don't believe that's what Paul's teaching here. And, and look at this hope, the faith and love that springs from this hope is stored up for us. And where did they hear about this hope? They heard about it in the gospel message. You see, they heard about it in the true message of the gospel that came to them. It was preached to them. And if we're going to talk about the gospel message... And salvation, maybe we need to get a definition of what the true gospel is. So let's look at what Paul tells us the true gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The gospel message, simple and clear. Christ came, he died for our sins, he was buried, 
And he rose again the third day. And if anybody preaches any other gospel other than that, it's a false gospel. If they add to it or subtract from it, you can't believe it. But along with the gospel message, Paul also teaches a lot about salvation. Look at, look at what he tells us in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the power of the gospel being preached leads people to make a decision for Christ and they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit changes them and they go on to live a Christian life. Doesn't say that they get the Holy Spirit and that's where it stops. If you look at the next couple of verses, we can see that when they're saved, when they hear the gospel, look what these Christians did. They just didn't sit in the church and worship God. They went out and told people about Jesus. Look what Paul says. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. True faith leads to action. And the first action should be because God has shown me mercy, I need to tell other people about this message. And look what they did. Look who they told first. They went to their own town and their own neighborhoods and spread the gospel. And as the church grew in their local area, look what they did. They went to the rest of the world. Ever heard Chris say, we need to do mission work? We need to spread the gospel? We need to take the gospel to other people? That comes from true faith. Look at verse 9. For this reason... Since the day, the reason is they're spreading the gospel. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So we've gone from a paragraph of thanksgiving to now a paragraph of prayer. And isn't it interesting that, that Paul, in the first part, is thanking them, thanking God for their grace. Thanking God for the things that He's done for them. But look what he prays in the second paragraph. He prays that that grace continue, get stronger, be built up. And do we think about that when we have a neighbor or a friend or somebody that, that we know that we want to bring to Christ and we pray and we pray and we pray and then they come to Christ. And they come to church. Do we quit praying for them? Thank you, Lord. I got them in. 
Then what? Paul says, we need to keep praying for them. As strong as the mercy and grace was that got them there, we need that mercy and grace to continue and increase. Look at, look at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. What Spirit? What does it give? What does it do? Where does it come from? If we look at Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were, brought, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So when we're saved and we accept Jesus as our Lord and Master, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a purpose. It's to help us lead our lives in a sinful world. And we can give thanks that we have that indwelling of the Spirit. But look what the Holy Spirit does for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So when we're saved and we have true faith and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, what does Paul say to us that happens? We are transformed. We're a different person. We're not the same before we're saved as we are after we're saved. We're changed. So what does that mean to be conformed? Look at Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit that's indwelling us is to conform us into the image of Christ and we do that by the renewing of our mind. So it, it, how is it that we renew our mind? You know, one thing kind of leads to another, doesn't it? And we renew our mind by spending time in the scriptures, in God's holy word. Because it's through God's holy word that the Spirit works. And if we look at God's will, you know, I'm asked a lot of times, especially in my Sunday school class, how do I know what God's will is? Did you know Paul tells us? In a pretty simple statement, really. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. 
Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we have the Holy Spirit who changes us, brings us out of the will, and when we are living, we should be doing these things that Paul talks about. Rejoicing, praying, giving thanks. And what's the purpose of that? Why do we do that? The purpose is so that we can please God. We want to please God, and the way we do that is to be conformed to His Son. And if we look at Paul's letter, go back to Colossians, there's four characteristics that he prays for here that are, create a pleasing life to God. Look what he says. Characteristic of bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen to display great endurance and patience. That's not a good one for me. I don't have very much patience. And look at number four. Joyfully give thanks to the Father. You know, when we talk about true faith, and we talk about being conformed, and we talk about a life that's pleasing to God, can we look in the mirror and say, yep, that's me. I'm bearing fruit. I'm spending time in God's Word. I'm growing in knowledge. I have great endurance. We'll leave out the patience. And are we joyfully giving thanks to the Father for the blessings that He's given us? I have to say, that as I was preparing this lesson, I didn't want to walk by very many mirrors. Because this is difficult, isn't it? It's tough to be thankful all the time. It's tough to bear fruit. Tough to lead a Christian life. Easy to say, I believe in Jesus, and go on about your life. Tough to live the way Paul wants us to live. Let's skip over and look at Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Let me back up for just, just a second uh, and talk a little bit more uh, about being conformed. Because I think, you know, as I said in the beginning of our lesson, it's important that we know that we need to change. You know, if, if God had wanted us to be economically free, he would have sent us a great economist to teach us how to make a lot of money. 
If he wanted us to have great entertainment, he could have sent us maybe another Bob Hope to entertain the world. Or if he wanted our greatest need was our health problems, he could have sent us somebody to cure all the diseases in the world. But does anybody know what our greatest need is? You know, it's, it's not the economy, it's not money, not health, even though sometimes we're sick and we need a cure. What's the greatest need? It's sin, isn't it? Because sin separates us from God. And because of that great need, what did God do? He sent us a Savior. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. And because he did, we're no longer alienated from him. Look at, look at Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Reconcile means that he has ended the hostility between man and God. And if we go over to Romans 5, 9, and 10, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through life? Justified, reconciled. Big words. I'm not real clever. I like to kind of simplify things. So let me, let me give you a, a couple of examples and let's see if we can come to some kind of understanding about what Jesus did for us. Suppose this morning on your way to church, you got a speeding ticket. You know there's a price to pay for that, don't you? Got to go to court, stand before the judge. He's going to say, well, I'll get rid of that ticket, but it's going to cost you a hundred bucks. And you think, wow. I might be a little short this month. I don't know if I get... But somebody in the audience stands up and says, Judge, out of the goodness of my heart, I'll cover that $100. Would you be happy? And, and, and children, let, let me talk to the children here. Suppose you acted up at school or you acted up at Sunday school and they called your parents you knew there's going to be a price to pay for that, don't you? Dad's not going to be a happy camper. So you come home and he says, I understand, I forgive you, but you've got to take the trash out for the rest of the month. There's a punishment. But out of the goodness of her heart, your mom says, I know you really didn't mean to do that. Don't worry about it. I'll do that for you. Will that make you happy? Got out of it, didn't you? Well, that's what Christ did for us. You know, when we sinned, we owed God a debt. And we accumulate those debts as we continue to sin. That debt has to be paid for. 
Because if that debt's not paid for, we're alienated from God. We're separated from God. There's hostility between us and God. How was that debt paid for? By Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He took our debt onto himself. And we are now made righteous because of what Christ did. And one of our greatest blessings is that because Christ paid our sin debt, we're no longer alienated from God. And that's the negative, but let's look at the positive. You know, Paul says things over and over again to, to kind of wake us up and, and get our attention. So if we're no longer alienated to God, look what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Look at Romans 6, 8, and 12. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ has raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. What is that complicated verse saying? When we're saved, as Christ died and rose again to newness of life, so we, when we're saved, die to sin and are changed and conformed to a new life. We're supposedly, if we truly have faith, dead to that sin. We can no longer live in continuous sin. Now, does that mean we're not going to sin anymore? No, we're, we're sinners. But it does mean that we're not going to continue the life of sin afterwards the same way we did before. We are dead to sin. And anybody who stands in front of you and preaches that it doesn't matter how you live because God's grace covers all your sins is preaching you the wrong thing. You have an obligation to die to sin. So we're no longer alienated from God. We are made alive with Christ. And because we're made alive with Christ, look what Paul tells us in Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. What kind of peace? What's he talking about? How do we have peace? Well, look at Ephesians 2, 14 and 18. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them 
to God through the cross by which he put death to the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father in one spirit. Do you see what he's saying? In the Old Testament, the Jews lived under rules and regulations. And if you want to know all the rules and regulations, go look in the Torah, the first five books, and it talks about sacrifices and, and holy days and all this kind of stuff. Well, Christ came, and he did away with that. And he gave us the age of grace. Does anybody here want to live like the Old Testament? Do you want to have to go buy a dove and kill it and sacrifice it? Do you want to have to kill a lamb? Do you want to have to worship on specific holy days? How about let's bring that forward to the, our day and age how many of you want to live by rules and regulations? You go to church and the preacher says, this week you have to go contact six people and tell them about Jesus or you lose your salvation. That the way you want to practice your faith? Not me. See, we, we were saved by grace. We were saved by God's gift. He gave it to us. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness. And you can have peace of mind that you don't have to earn God's favor. Could you live every day wondering, did I miss a rule? Did I sacrifice properly? Did I miss a holy day? What kind of life is that? How can you live in a religion? We have a lot of religions today that teach you got to do stuff to earn paradise. I don't want salvation by works. Not when God told me that he's given it to me. We have peace because of God's gift to us. And that leads us to verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Look at Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We live under the authority of Jesus Christ and we do things in his name. And if you look at 1 Timothy 2, I urge them, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator 
between God and mankind. The man, Jesus Christ. Christ died and rose and sits at the right hand of God. And he's there as our advocate. He's our mediator. He's our go-between. Aren't you glad that if the devil made an accusation against you and said, that person right there has false faith, that you have an advocate that says, oh, wait a minute. Oh, no. He put his faith in me. He trusts me. That accusation is false. That's our surety. Christ is there as our mediator. And look what Paul says our Savior wants. He wants all people to be saved, which leads us to our last point and our last passage. Look at Colossians 4, 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And Ephesians 5, be careful, very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Because we are saved. Remember what I said in the very beginning. It causes us to want to help other people to be saved. And we can be thankful that God is going to give us the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. He's going to put those opportunities in our path. You can't ignore them. You know, you're standing in a grocery line and somebody mentions the Bible and you're too timid to say anything. They've opened up an opportunity for you to say, are you saved? Now they might say, yes. And you could say, how do you know? Gives you an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. We can't overlook those opportunities because Jesus wants everybody to be saved. And we're living in a sinful world. Are you going to get some opposition? Sure you are. But Paul also gives us a passage for that too, doesn't he? How about Galatians 6? Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. A lot of blessings that we can be thankful for, and it kind of brings to mind an old gospel hymn that, that maybe some of the gray-haired folks in the, in the crowd might know. You, you, do, do you remember the song, Count Your Blessings and See What God Has Done? Well, let's go back and let's count our blessings and see what God has done for us. You know, we have a hope laid up for us in heaven. We have the true message of the gospel. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're no longer alienated from God. We've been made alive in Christ. We have peace with God. 
We can give thanks that we have a mediator in heaven. And we can give thanks that God is going to give us an opportunity to spread the gospel. You know, as we go through this holiday season, from today through Christmas, and certainly Christmas, we're going to be giving thanks for Jesus being born. But let us also give thanks for what God has done for us on a regular basis. And what he's done so that we could have a relationship with him. Let me close with one last passage. This is from Philippians. Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your words of encouragement. Father, I ask you to help us to take these words of thanksgiving into our lives so that we can give you the glory and honor that you deserve. Father, we live our lives sometimes forgetting that through your great love you sent your son that we could be made right for you. Let us never forget that gift. Let us live our lives demonstrating that we have our trust in Jesus. We are transformed by your Holy Spirit and we want to demonstrate to the world that we truly are living in your light. Continue to forgive us, Father, these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, there's someone here who hasn't put their trust in Jesus. Uh, I ask you to get with David or get with Michael or others here in the congregation. And don't put it off. You know, we are never promised tomorrow. And if you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're outside of God's love. And you don't have the hope of eternal life. So this morning as we close in song, don't put it off. Accept Jesus as your personal Savior.